But remember tomorrow if you're praying that you're praying in concert with millions of other believers. And I'll tell you what, that has power. That, that has power when we join our hearts together and we pray and we ask the Lord uh, to work among us. So I encourage you to do that. And uh, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the uh, small epistle all the way in the back of the Bible of 3 John. And uh, with that, uh, we will be through uh, John's epistles and uh, soon to uh, launch there into the book of Revelation, actually another book <laughs> uh, penned out by the Apostle John. Uh, Third John, he identifies himself, the elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Uh, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers uh, who have borne witness of your love before the church. And if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth, and he's speaking here about these Christian missionaries, they went forth for his namesake, uh, taking nothing from the Gentiles, that is the unbelieving world. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, uh, he does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, uh, which he does, uh, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, and he himself does not receive uh, the brethren and holds or forbids those who do not who wish to putting them uh, out of the church disfellowshipping them and so beloved do not imitate what is evil but what is good uh, he who does good is of God he who does evil has not seen God and Demetrius has a good testimony from all uh, and from the truth itself and we bear witness and you know that our testimony is true and I have had many things to write, <clears throat> but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall uh, speak face to face, so peace be to you. And our friends greet you, and greet the friends by name. Lord, we praise you today. And Lord, uh, our hearts go out, Father, to, Lord, many people in the path of this hurricane. Lord, some of them are our dear friends, some of them are our relatives. And we pray, Lord, for mercy. We pray, Father, for your, your blessing, Lord, your protection, your intervention, Lord, at these particular times, Lord. Uh, makes us wonder, Lord, how many times uh, uh, someone has cried out, Lord, in their crisis, in, their, in the storm of their life. And Lord, you, you intervene and save them. And Lord, we pray that you be doing that as well today, Lord, as, as many people will find their lives in jeopardy. Lord, may they realize, Lord, you're the source of life. And Lord, may you wonderfully, Lord, reach down and touch them in their hour of need. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is always timely and relevant. And we pray, Lord, uh, as we look at this little epistle of John, 
that you'd open it up to us, Lord, that there could be personal um, application, Lord, to our particular lives and uh, perhaps um, the very things that, Lord, uh, you're about to do in our lives. Lord, you always wonderfully equip us, Lord, beforehand in so many ways, in so many situations. Lord, you're, you're so awesome. We praise you and thank you, Lord, and uh, we pray for our children. You be with them today, Lord, meet with them uh, in a special kind of way, Lord, uh, to encourage their hearts, Lord, as they uh, uh, also uh, learn about Jesus. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this time, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We uh, entitled our message this morning, uh, Learning by Example. You know, we can learn by example. I think there's a lot of things that the Lord would have us learn by example. I don't know if you maybe grew up in a big family, and uh, there were some brothers or sisters ahead of you, and, uh, you, you know, as you just read their lives and watched them, uh, that you, you just, you know, you were able to garner something from their life, take a page from their life, so to speak. I, I think of uh, one of our daughters, uh, Rebecca, and she had two younger sisters under her. And I can just remember her uh, influence to them, even as a young girl. Uh, she was just one of these, she was straight as an arrow. You know, sometimes uh, uh, you, you have that, uh, you know, in, in, in someone's life. And, and that really personified, I think, my, our daughter, Rebecca. And I can remember one time uh, we were living in Shortsville. <clears throat> I looked out the back door. And it looked like she had some kid pinned against the tree out there. And, um, and so I kind of moseyed on out there to find out what was going on. And she was telling Ike about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, she was saying, Ike, you need the Lord in your life. <laughs> and Ike was our neighbor, and she was absolutely right. Ike needed the Lord in his life. He was a rascal. And uh, so, you know, we learn. We, we learn by, you know, we learn by example as we watch other people. You know, we can learn, you know, by studying the Bible. Uh, we can learn by good examples, you know, in, in our lives that God has placed uh, uh, them there. Or, you know, we can learn by experience. Uh, sometimes we can learn by good experiences. Uh, sometimes we can learn by bad experiences. Uh, have you ever been in the school of hard knocks? Uh, you don't want to stay in that school too long, okay? Uh, that's not a good school to be in. Uh, but we can learn by the things that we, you know, as we experience, uh, uh, you know, through life, uh, looking to the Lord. And, and wonderfully benefiting from that. And, and that's one of the things that John is communicating here through this little epistle because there are some bad examples uh, in that particular church, in that fellowship, in that small group of Christians. And there were some good examples. You know, a guy by the name of Gaius, uh, another guy by the name of Demetrius, and, of course, uh, uh, one of the key figures, and perhaps he's the, the senior leader or maybe pastor in this particular group. His name is Diotrephes. Uh, and he's kind of taken control in a negative kind of way uh, in this church. And so John here is writing uh, to just basically correct that particular issue uh, and maybe to get this little group that was maybe veering off, uh, going in the wrong direction, to sort of get them back on the track. Uh, you know, the Lord's always doing that with our lives, isn't he? You know, it's, it's amazing how quickly we can veer we can get off the path. We can go in the wrong direction. We're maybe influenced by our culture or by our surroundings. And the Lord's always working to bring, uh, whether it's some individual, um, always working to bring godly influence in our life, to get us back, and to get us back, you know, uh, lined up with the compass needle, to get us back in alignment with his will uh, and with his purpose. <clears throat> now, this small letter is... is almost quite the opposite of, of John, uh, 2 John. 
Now remember last week when we looked at 2 John, uh, he was warning them to be very careful to not open your heart and your home uh, to some of the weird religious ideas that were sort of floating around, and they were coming oftentimes. You know, in that particular culture, it was very common for itinerants, you know, different people to sort of, you know, come through. And, and we kind of talked about that, how, how John was simply warning them, be very careful uh, that you don't open up your home, and, and, and in that, opening up your heart uh, to the wrong kind of message. Because uh, at that time, many of the, many of the churches were basically uh, house churches. Uh, uh, so once in a while, there was maybe a rabbi uh, or a synagogue leader who, who gave his heart to Christ, and then the synagogue would become basically a Christian church. Um, but uh, that was not, the, uh, you know, that was not the, the ordinary way things happened oftentimes. It was just a, a handful, a, a group of Christians sort of meeting in a particular home, and then at some point later, perhaps it would grow a little bit longer, bigger than that. And so uh, the warning was in John chapter 2, uh, John uh, second epistle rather, be careful what you open up your lives and your home to. Now in John chapter, John uh, 3 that is, this third epistle, uh, it's quite the opposite. He's encouraging them to open up their home, open up their homes and their hearts to particularly those itinerant Christian missionaries, uh, traveling ministers and those that were passing through. And maybe this guy Diotrephes even used uh, the second epistle you know, as, as sort of, uh, um, you know, using that in, in a way of, well, you know, John told us that we need to put out certain people, so he might be using that to put out the wrong people. And so, so he's writing here to correct that um, because of this particular man. Now, the Bible reminds us oftentimes, um, uh, I was doing a little research, and there's seven clear injunctions in the New Testament to be hospitable. Um, that's a very important thing. Remember, Jesus said, when you, when you, when you open up uh, your, your heart to me, you're opening up your heart to the Father. And, uh, and when you're opening your heart to his servants, you're opening your heart to him. And so hospi hospi hospitality was a very important thing, particularly uh, in that ancient world. And so uh, remember the injunction to the encouragement of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 is be very careful to entertain strangers. Now, when he says strangers there, he's speaking about Christians that we don't know. He's not just simply talking about anybody. But it could be, you know, God may send somebody to your house and maybe you don't know or send somebody to your life and you're not sure, you know, uh, where they stand with the Lord. And, of course, there's an opportunity maybe to speak to them about Christ. But, again, I imagine, you know, many people, uh, because of the hospitality of God's people, uh, in reaching out to them, they came to know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so um, the encouragement of, of Hebrews is simply, uh, um, you know, be very careful and diligent to entertain strangers, uh, to be hospitable towards strangers, because some people um, have entertained angels, angelic visitors, without, with simply being unaware. In other words, not knowing. And I, and I think also, too, uh, that when we open our hearts up to God's people, uh, that in a sense, that person could be, you know, in, in a figurative sense, that person could be an angel to us. You know, they can be a blessing, you know, into our lives in some kind of way. They may, they may bear a message that God has for us as we simply open our hearts and our lives. Um, I, different times over my experience with the Lord, uh, I have met people that have been a tremendous blessing to my life. Um, and there's something about you know, uh, Christian brotherhood 
that you can meet somebody for the very first time and you feel like you've known them forever. You feel like you've known them because why? They have God's Holy Spirit in their life just like you have in your life. Uh, and, and there's a beautiful reciprocation. There's a beautiful you know, meeting of the minds and the hearts when we, you know, when we interface with somebody that knows the Lord, even though we maybe never have known him before. And I've experienced it as I've traveled around the world and, and so many different places that uh, it, it's, a, it's an awesome and wonderful thing. And, and one of the things that God does here is he reserves a blessing for those who do that, for those who open up their lives and open up their hearts. Uh, there's just a special blessing you know, for them. Uh, now in verse 1, <clears throat> John writing, and opening his letter, just like he did in the second epistle uh, there, uh, when he uses the word beloved, it's agape tas, uh, and he uses it three times as, as he applies it to this person, Gaius. Now, we don't know about Gaius. Uh, there's another Gaius mentioned in the New Testament some other place, but we don't know uh, if it's the same guy. But we know this, that he was a very, a very close and special friend uh, to John. And uh, if we would perhaps maybe write a letter today, we would say, you know, dear friend. Uh, I just uh, text a, a, a special friend of mine um, who lives down in Miami. Uh, some of you know Raz Vasquez. Uh, he was here a couple years ago speaking. I think he's on the radio as well. And um, I know Raz very well. And, and uh, as I texted him to just find out, hey, hey, Raz, how you doing? You know, how, how are things going down there? Uh, and... Um, and uh, when I did, I just, uh, you know, I just uh, referred to him as a, a dear brother because he is. And uh, anyway, he told me that they hunkered down. They didn't leave Miami, that they're just going to tough it out. And, um, and it was probably uh, uh, the Lord's direction for him because the hurricane kind of went up the other side, the other coast there uh, of Florida. But uh, I was thinking, you know, there's probably not a lot of church going on in Florida today, but I'll bet you there's a lot of prayer going on. <laughs> Um, a lot of prayer inside the church and outside the church uh, as well. You know, our best, our best friendships that we ever are going to experience are really going to be in Christianity. Um, you know, uh, the, the Bible speaks about, uh, you know, a friend loves at all times. And uh, sometimes uh, we've had maybe friendships in the world where we've gotten abused and taken advantage of. Uh, there's such a, a term as fair-weather friends. Uh, where there's people that will be your friend, uh, and they'll seem like a good friend. And uh, uh, when things are going well or when there's lots of money around and, uh, and, and there's some good times going on, there's a lot of, you can have a lot of friends like that. Uh, but you know, you're really going to know your friends when the chips are down, when, 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 when things are difficult, uh, when you're facing adversity. And that's why the Bible says a friend loves at all times. And I don't know about you, but the first best friendships I have ever experienced, and I've had lots of them, have really been in Christ, um, you know, because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, you know, binding hearts together, uh, just, just the love that's there uh, because of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you ever been wounded by a friend, a true friend? You know, someone who's not a true friend will not say things that are difficult to you. A true friend will. And so the scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. When they see something inconsistent in your life and they love you enough to, want, to be willing to face you and, 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 and basically you know, tell you something about that issue in your life. 
I, I think sometimes uh, we may be fearful to do that in our friendship and our relationship because we're uh, anticipating, well, if I say that, they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. They're not going to like me anymore. But I tell you what, that's a very important aspect of, of friendship when we look at it from a biblical point of view. When someone uh, is willing to, out of love, speak into my life and maybe correct me or uh, help me to maybe uh, deal with a situation that maybe uh, uh, I'm not willing to deal with or maybe some area of defeat uh, in my life. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So a true friend is going to love you enough, even if it means they may have to say something that may be hurtful or painful. Um, and I think, too, when, when we have to say things like that to a friend, uh, they're painful to us as well. Uh, but I think that's a very important aspect uh, of friendship. And I don't know about, um, about John and Gaius, but uh, the fact of the matter is um, that uh, they were very good friends. And I think, uh, you know, I think John, you know, anybody's going to have some enemies, uh, but he had a very dear friend, this man Gaius. And the Bible tells us, you know what, we're to love good people. It's important that we express, you know, our love to those that are, that are good people to communicate that. I, I think when you have a good f relationship, a good friendship with someone, you know, treasure that. Uh, treasure that and, and cultivate that. You know, the Bible says that in order to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. So, so friendship is a thing uh, that's investment really on two parties. It's not just one person, you know, giving into it. It's an investment really by two people. And, and those kind of relationships need uh, to be treasured and, and need to be uh, cultivated. Now, I don't know if uh, John had heard that Gaius was sick, but in verse 2, he writes this. He says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, uh, just as your soul uh, prospers. Now, he's simply praying. It's a very simple prayer for, uh, you know, for, for uh, uh, Gaius to be healthy. Um, this is one of those verses in the Bible that's been taken out of context. Uh, this is sort of, I would say, the, the uh, premier verse uh, that uh, those who uh, subscribe to the health and wealth uh, doctrine uh, have, have sort of taken this verse, and, and they've, they've made it to say something that it really simply isn't saying. John is simply praying, you know, for the health uh, of Gaius here, and also that he would prosper as he is spiritually, because obviously he's doing very well, you know, in the spirit. And again, this verse here does not guarantee that we're going to have perfect health and we're going to have material prosperity. Some people claim that. But we need to be very careful. And we need to, when you look at verses like this, you know, the thing about um, taking certain portions of Scripture and getting out of balance, um, the way that we, we, we stay in balance is to weigh one scripture against the other. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And, and so we have to understand that th if this was you know, to be some, you know, some um, doctrine um, that we're to embrace, uh, that you need to, there's something wrong with your faith if you're not healthy. It's wrong. And there's something lesser in your faith if you're not uh, materially prosperous. That, that's a very dangerous kind of thing. And one author says this. He says, physical or material prosperity is not a measure of spiritual health. If it was, then Bill Gates would be the most spiritual guy in America. 
And, and, and the people who were the healthiest would be the most spiritual people in America. If that was a measure, you know, of spiritual prosperity or spiritual blessing. Now, he says this also. Nor is its absence a hindrance to spiritual progress. And uh, I think a great example of that is Johnny Erickson Tata. And, and look at her health. Um, she's in a wheelchair. She's uh, so limited in her movement, she cannot move any body parts except from her neck up. And as I have read this woman's writings, they've got such power. There's such spiritual power there. Uh, and her life has had power uh, tremendously. And, uh, and, and she, she lacks complete bodily health. Uh, some of the stories that she shares uh, early on uh, when her accident happened back in the 60s, and she grew up in a Christian family. She, she, you know, she grew up in a believing family, and, and of course, uh, when this happened to her, uh, she questioned God and struggled with it originally, but uh, um, you know, her faith grew, and she was able to accept this as from the hand of the Lord, and God has taken her life and used her in a tremendously you know, powerful way. Um, and, and, you know, no matter, no matter what our circumstances are, you know, as we simply, as we will trust God and look to God, uh, God will work. Um, you know, God, God will take our lives and, and use them for his glory and for his purpose um, and, and for, you know, the things that he has designed for us. You know, um, you know Paul speaking relative to, you know, our body. He says this over uh, in Corinthians, and I think it, it's important because it kind of gives perspective, you know, to our physical condition and so forth. He says, he says, do you not know that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, God has come to dwell within our lives. But this body is just a temporal condition. There, there, there's a day coming. Uh, this body has a shelf life. Um, and God has designed that this body, uh, that we would use it to represent him, to, to honor him. It, it houses, in a sense, the Holy Spirit. And, and he goes on to say this. He says, uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? In other words, we don't really own this body. We've given this body. We've given ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you've done that. If you've, if you've given yourself to him, everything that you've given to him, it belongs to him. We're, we're just stewards. You're not going to have this body in eternity. When I think of that for myself, I say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I won't have to look at this for eternity. I, I, I'm glad I'm getting a new model, and so are you. It's going to be a wonderful thing for the believer, for the child of God, uh, to have a body that will never grow old. It will never grow fat. Um, it will not have, you know, uh, uh, plantar fasciitis and uh, all kinds of other maladies that, that come our way. Uh, it's going to be a body, a model that will be uh, able, to, able to use it to its fullest for trillions and trillions and trillions of years for eternity. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And you know what? I, I think if there's going to be mirrors in heaven, I'm not sure, Okay. But when you, get, when you and I get our new body and you look in the mirror, you're going to say, that's just what I had in mind. <laughs> I, I think it's just going to be absolutely perfect, you know, as we, we look at our eternal body and model. Um, but what we have right now, this body, all of our possessions, 
all of our money. Do you realize it doesn't belong to you? It's just passing through your hand for a very short time. You have a stewardship over that to use it for the glory of God. Oh, may God help us to do that. Because sometimes we try to take our lives back, don't we? And uh, boy, we can mess things up real quick, can't we, when we try to take our lives back. Uh, but to, to, to realize that, uh, Lord, all that I have, all that I have, it belongs to you. Lord, let me use it. Let me invest it. Let, let me, again, when you think about your life, your life is currency. That's the most important currency, is the currency of your life. And it's very important that we're, we, we realize that it doesn't belong to us. But it's given to us for a, for a few years, very brief time in the light of eternity. So we want to invest it. We want to invest it for the glory of God and for the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So whatever condition our body is, and whatever condition we are financially, uh, to, to take that and to glorify God uh, with that. And obviously, that was happening in the early church. You know, when you think about the early church, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. They had a lot of faith. They had a lot of faith. And you know what? Paul commends them because he says, at one point, you turn the world upside down. The early church did that. They, they turned the world. They, 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 they just, they simply had, um, you know, whatever they had, they used it for the glory and the, and the, and the purpose of God. You know, I was talking to some people uh, over the last couple of days in between services, and we we're just talking about what's going on, what's going down, on down in Texas, what is presently taking place right, right now uh, down in Florida. And all of a sudden, people who had all these possessions are homeless. And, w- and when you think about that, doesn't that just sort of put everything in perspective? And, and I wonder, too, in the transaction of losing everything, Oftentimes, in those kinds of crises is when the Lord comes into our life. And it may seem like, well, I've lost everything, but I'll tell you what, we're going to lose it anyway. We're not taking anything to heaven. We're leaving it all behind. See, we need it. We, we, the Bible constantly brings us back to this whole thing of eternal perspective. And I was thinking about something, I was, you know, and you, can't, you can't help but, you know, your heart breaks as you're hearing some of the testimonies uh, of the folks that, that came through Harvey in Texas where they've lost everything and, and people just standing there crying because they, weren't, they had no insurance and everything that they had and all they have now is basically their children and so forth. But I know in many of those situations, the Lord is there. And in that transaction of all that loss, that the Lord wants to come into their life. And, and, and he does. He does. So often he will use the, the very crises, the very things that, that, that none of us wish for, none of us want. But he's right there to come in and to make himself available to come into our life. Because I'll tell you what, when you got him, you got the treasure. When you got him, you got the true riches. When you have got Christ, you have got everything. Everything compared to him is nothing. It's all nothing. It's all junk. It's all going to rust. It's all going to burn. But when you got Jesus Christ, you got those enduring riches. And, uh, and, and this morning, if, if perhaps, uh, it's still this morning, uh, 
If you don't have him in your life, don't leave today. Let's pray with you. Uh, we're not asking you to give any money. We're not asking you to join the church. We're just asking you to open your heart to Jesus Christ because he wants to come into your life. And man, what a precious gift that is. Now, in verse th uh, 3, <clears throat> you know, there's always something that's going to just take our, seem like it robs us of our joy or sadness in some kind of way. But you know, God is faithful. He always gives us something to rejoice about. And here's John. He's an old man. And uh, he's, he's in trouble with the authorities because very soon he's going to be thrown out and, uh, to the island of Patmos. Uh, you know, when you look at the Apostle Paul and you look at some of the things that he went through. And remember Paul's uh, prison epistle? It's full with joy. It's full of rejoicing. No matter what our experiences are today, there is an opportunity to look to God and to find a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You know, our world today is in a pursuit of happiness. And you know, it's the elusive butterfly. You're never going to be able to find. The, the more people grasp after it, the more they follow after it. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. That's what America is all about. <laughs> if I can just, you know, get to the golden ring, if I could climb up the ladder, you know, if I could just get that job, if I could just move to that city, and, 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 and then I'd be happy, you know, as... Um, watching the Weather Channel yesterday, and uh, they were highlighting a couple that just bought a home down in the Keys. And everything they had, everything they had they put in that home, they just moved in last week. And the camera was there, and they were interviewing them because they were moving out. No, they were evacuating. They weren't leaving the home permanently. Um, but it made me wonder, what will they come back to? You know, will they come back? you know, to a home. And that's the way things in this world are. How, how quickly, you know, we can have, we can seem like, we, you know, and I imagine last week, they were like, wow, we finally, we, we arrived. We, we, you know, this is our dream. And it was a beautiful uh, kind of cottage that was, you know, uh, not far from the water, up on stilts and so forth. It looked like a beautiful little home. And, uh, and uh, as the guy was being interviewed, yeah, we just moved in last week and we're evacuating this week. And uh, life can be like that, can't it? Life can be like that. But oh, the grace of God, how he can come in and uh, uh, he can meet with us and he can help us and give us joy um, even when there's great losses. There's a joy that can come from God that you just simply can't get from life. Um, again, uh, a lot of times our happiness is measured by our circumstances or by our finances or by the fact that things are going very well. And... Um, so John says, I rejoice greatly uh, when the brethren came and testified of, of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in truth. And uh, Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's a lot of things that are going to just zap your joy. They're going to rip you off. They're going to, circumstances in life that are just going to just, you know, take all the wind out of your sails. But then, there, again, there's a, there's a joy that can come from God. And the thing that you see, the joy that John has here, it's the joy that he has because his life is invested in giving to other people, in, in serving other people. It's not pursuing it. And if I pursue it, if I find it, then I'm going to really, you know, then I'm going to be happy. No. 
There's a joy that takes place in your life as we pour our lives into other people. You know, sometimes we tend to want to just, you know, uh, get away from people. You know, isolate ourselves, alienate ourselves. You know, I think uh, a great story was that movie about Tom Hanks. Uh, what was that movie where he got marooned on an island? His plane crashed, he got marooned on an island. Castaway, yeah. And, uh, and I imagine there was this, you know, probably in his life, a lot of people that, you know, that, that, that bothered him or bugged him, just like any of us. But it is interesting. You know, sometimes we can't live with people, but we can't live without them. And remember, he created Wilson, the volleyball. The volleyball, and he painted a face on that thing. And he, he just, you know, that was his life <laughs> with Wilson. It was, kind of, it was kind of sad and pathetic. But it just it, it demonstrates the point that, man, we need people. We need people. We need each other. And that's why God is what? He's placed us what? In a body. And, and he uses the analogy that, you know, that, that each one of us are different parts. We have a different function, you know, in the body. How important it is that we need, you know, we need other people. And so, uh, you know, the joy that, uh, that we see here demonstrated is really a joy. Um, uh, basically, it's based on others, um, our lives blessing other people. Uh, the true spirit, I think, of Christianity is simply to be um, another centered kind of relationship. Uh, today, we have um, the, uh, the, the, op- the very opposite of that, uh, the me generation. I remember one time uh, reading an author who talked about, he was talking about cultural change, but he talked, he used the, he, he demonstrated um, magazines and showing how the culture changed. So when you go in, in, uh, back into America, uh, about 50, 60 years back into the 40s and 1950s, uh, the big magazine was Life. Uh, then it became Us. Um, and it kept moving in more and more to, the, to me. And I was kind of wondering at first service, is there a magazine uh, by the name of the Me Magazine, uh, and, and somebody kind of showed me the picture of it on their smartphone after for a service. But that's our culture. Th- that's our culture. It's a Me Generation culture. But the fact of the matter is that we need one another. And God has placed us, you know, so often in dependence upon one another. We've said this so often, we stand on the shoulders of other people. Our whole life. Th- think of, we don't think of it. I just think I, I run out there, I jump in my car, and it's like I want to get to my next place. You realize the, the decades of engineering, guys sweating, thinking how to make a better car? I mean, what do you want to think about that? Or, or, or our homes, or that little phone, the amazing technology. You, you see, I go back uh, a few years before... Uh, I can remember when it was a big thing, if you could have a car phone. Remember that, guys, and back in the 80s? If you had a car phone, like, wow, you're really important, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, he's got a car phone. And, and remember the first, uh, you know, cell phones that were like big blocky things, you know, like this uh, sort of thing. And when you think about the technology that you have, actually what you, you, what you realize is what you think is a phone is actually a computer. It's a computer with phone capabilities. And... Um, isn't it amazing what you can um, find on that thing? Uh, as soon as I come up to any kind of question, it's like, okay, Google. Do, 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 do. It's amazing the information that's, that's available. 
you know, uh, to you and I through that, uh, you know, incredible. Again, the point is uh, that we are dependent. We are so dependent upon, you know, other people. And you know what? There's people that need you. The impact that you and I make in the lives of others. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we, we discount that. We think, well, you know, it's just me. You know, I, I'm not some kind of spiritual powerhouse. Um, and sometimes we feel like, uh, and, and I think a lot of people um, feel kind of worthless in our culture. I think a lot of young people coming out of college uh, with all kinds of degrees, and they find that they can't get a job. And, and I think sometimes, you know, I think, I, think a, I think part of the problem is our identity so often is wrapped up in what we do. Our identity needs to be in Christ. That's where we get meaning. That's where we get purpose. Because you know what? Jobs come and they go. All the other things, um, you know, I was thinking about like uh, the big interest in the genealogical business to find out where I came from. And a lot of people, that, that's, that's big business today. It's huge. But you know what the most important question is? Where are you going? Not where you came from. And I, I kind of laugh because a lot of times when you know, people get the, the, the results from their genealogical search, it's you know, the, the pie chart. And, and a lot of times they, you know, they're something much other than what they thought they were. <laughs> and so, you know, welcome to life. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're kind of all American mongrels, aren't we, so to speak. You know, we're a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But the, most, the, the, the important thing about our identity no one can really understand their true worth until they're in Christ. That's the identity. I think a lot of times I notice when guys become, get close to my age, we start hanging up a lot of things that were part of our past. And, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it, just like anybody else. And part of it is, part of it is this. I want to fully realize and know that I've counted for something. I want to know that my life has had some purpose and meaning. And it's okay to have the credentials and the accolades, and, and things of that. But our real meaning, our real purpose, our real identity for the Christian, it's only for the Christian, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not ever find ultimate meaning in anything else. That's the relationship. That's the ultimate relationship. If you don't have that, you need to have that. It's free. Jesus went to the cross to purchase that right. You know, John speaks about that. The right to become the children of God. Man, that's it. That's it. You don't want to go groping through your whole life trying to find your identity. 
in this, that, or the other thing. There's different things as I look at my past. and I enjoyed being a dental technician for a number of years. That's not my identity. That's my career. I was a Marine. It's not my identity. My identity is a child of God. If you don't have that question settled in your heart, that's the most important of all issues, that you know him, that he's in your life. Because that's why when he comes in, he changes our perspective. He changes the way we think, the way we perceive our world. And there's something so wonderfully special to know that I don't have to earn God's love, that it's freely given to me in Christ. I think there's a lot of folks running around looking for love, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And when Christ comes into your heart, you realize, man, I'm loved by God Almighty. There's a peace there's a change. There's a power that, that comes into our hearts and lives when that wonderfully happens. <clears throat> Let's see here. <laughs> we'll run out of time. Now in verse 5, uh, John encourages Gaius, uh, Beloved, uh, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for the strangers. And so uh, Gaius was probably a halfway house for traveling uh, missionaries and so forth and ministers. He had that kind of heart. You know, the thing is, too, you know, you can't open your home until you open your heart, right? It's like, too, you can't open your wallet until you open your heart. <laughs> uh, that has to take place, you know, first in your life um, before you're going to be able to really do anything with any kind of joy or any kind of power or purpose in it. And I think sometimes, too, as John's encouraging Gaius, uh, that maybe up against this guy, Diotrephes, he's being somewhat discouraged. Uh, maybe distracted by all that. Maybe I shouldn't continue to do what I'm doing. Because maybe he, he might have even been threatened by Diotrephes that, you know, Gaius, you keep this up, man. I'm putting you out of the church. You know, I, I'm the leader here. And this guy had a real ego problem. And it's always sad when you get people in leadership, uh, especially in the church, you know, like that. Uh, and obviously that here is uh, beginning to take place. And so there's some encouragement. You know what? Don't give up your service. Don't give up what you're doing. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. Uh, and he's just encouraging him simply there uh, to hang in there in spite of that. You know, Paul put it this way. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Um, because people are going to be recipients of your life and the things that God has called you to do. He's going to wonderfully bless that, that the impact of your life. Don't consider it too small. Because I think a lot of times people give up, you know what, I, I, can't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't make a difference. I'm just me. Yeah, you're just you. But you're with God. He's going to help you. He'll empower you. He'll lead you. 
And so he says uh, about these traveling uh, missionaries and so forth, because they went forth from, for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, uh, that is the unbelieving world. Uh, therefore, uh, we ought to receive such that we may become fellow helpers or, or workers uh, for the truth. Uh, there would be, uh, there was in those days, uh, itinerant uh, philosophers that would kind of go through, come through an area, a community, uh, and they would just sort of hang out there and just begin to soak up, you know, the blessings, taking advantage of people, exploiting people. That's why, remember, when Jesus sent the uh, 70 out, he said, don't go from house to house. Don't go looking for a good deal. Wherever God sends you, stay in that particular situation. And, and that's what God is saying. That's what I will bless. Um, and the thing is, too, you know, he's always giving us an opportunity to serve him in some kind of way. And, and we realize that, you know, that's a privilege. It's a privilege if God would give you the nod to serve him. That, that, again, almighty God using you and me. Do you know you're going to get a reward for that? that that's the amazing thing. That whatever we do for the Lord, that, that there's going to be reward for that. And to, to, to demonstrate that point, well, you know, some little thing. To demonstrate that point, Jesus said, he who even gives a cup of water to one of my disciples will receive his reward. So don't think what you're doing is insignificant or unimportant. God will wonderfully bless and honor those efforts. Now here in verse 9, and we want to wrap this up. This was the power struggle going on in that church. And it was in the person of Diotrephes. And uh, John said that he wrote a letter, or maybe, the, maybe this other letter that's mentioned was sort of ripped up uh, by this individual. We don't know for sure. And he said, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Now, this guy loved to be first. He, he loved the spotlight. Have you ever been in a situation under that kind of leadership? Uh, where, where somebody just sort of, they love to control other people. Uh, maybe in the workaday world, that's happened to you. It's happened to me a couple of different times. I, you know, I thank God I've had some great bosses, you know, over the years. Uh, but once in a while, you run into this kind of person uh, where they just got an ego problem, and uh, they've got to make sure that uh, they let you know when you're wrong about everything and they're right sort of a thing. And I think that uh, Diatrophes was one of those kind of individuals. And I would hate to be the, the, the one man in history who turned against the Apostle John. Man, not a good thing to do. And when you think about that, man, that's pride, to turn against the Apostle John. And I think maybe the idea was, yeah, he's an old guy. What do these old guys know? kind of a thing. <laughs> you know, I'm the, I'm the new and upcoming guy here type of thing. You know, John's the last generation. And it was simply pride. That, that, that's what it was. And, you know, I've seen this thing happen um, enough times in church work. And there's an old adage that comes to mind, and I think it's appropriate, and I think it's, it's wise for us to take heed to it. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. There'll be, there'll be people that God has used to bless your life at different junctures. Thank God for those people. Thank God that they invested in our life, uh, that God used them, that they were a blessing to us. But don't burn your bridges. Don't, don't bite the hand that feeds you. 
as I said, we, we stand on the shoulders of so many other influences and people in our lives. Rejoice and be thankful for the people that God has, has, has used to bless you. Sometimes I'll, be, sometimes I'll be praying, and I'll think about somebody years ago that did something for me and, and invested in my life, and I just say, oh, Lord, thank you for a brother or a sister so-and-so. Uh, just thank you. Bless them. Bless them. And, and, and as, as only, uh, Lord, you can. Just bless their lives. Now, uh, <clears throat> verse 10 says, Therefore, I come, if I come, I will call to mind uh, this man, his deeds, what he does, his, his malicious words, uh, not content uh, with that, uh, but he does not receive the brothers, uh, forbids those who, who wish to, and putting them out of the church. And so a very ambitious man, wanting to control everything. And, you know, Jesus taught against him, uh, 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 ambition, what it will do, selfish ambition. How destructive. You know, Jesus said, you know, the, 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 the lords of the, the, the leaders of the Gentiles, they lord it over people. He said, it's not to be like that in my church. You're, you're, you're not to lord it over people. Because uh, remember the, the uh, disciples early on, uh, James and John come to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, uh, we want you to do for us whatever, you, whatever we ask. But Jesus said, what do you want? Well, if we can just sit at your right hand, on your right hand, on your left, in your kingdom, in glory. Well, is that all you want, John and James? Is that all you want is just to sit at the right and the left hand of, of all power? And then Jesus went on to instruct them. This is not my kingdom. This is not how I operate. I don't step on people. I don't control people. <laughs> that's, that's the way the world works. And I think that, that, that sometimes the church adopts these principles of the world corporate principles. It's kind of happening. It's kind of happening in Christianity where, where we want to, where the church is incorporating, uh, uh, you know, business principles, corporate principles, because we want success. God's not in it. Doesn't glorify him. You know, Jesus said, we, if you want to be great, you have to be the slave of all. Isn't that just the antithesis of um, the pattern of this world? I, I can remember uh, when, when President Trump had his show. What was it called? What was that show called? The Yeah, The Apprentice, when he's training all these people. And as soon as somebody would show humility, it's like, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way, that's the way it is. That, that, that just sort of personifies what, what the world, you know, how the world handles things. Not so in his kingdom. Become slave of all, become a servant. And that's what he did. That's what the Lord did. He laid down his life to serve. So as we find here this rejection of apostolic authority, it was really a rejection of authority. It's been actually a debate that's been carried on for centuries in the church. Who has the true apostolic authority? Does it, does it give me authority if I stand up here in a robe and I've got a pointy hat? Or because I have a shingle I put on the wall that certain men say I have authority? 
Let me tell you what, here's what will give you authority and here's what will give me authority. This, the truth. It's the word of God. That's what gives us authority. This pulpit does not give me authority. It's only by this word. And you see here this man, his rejecting John is actually rejecting the authority of God. You know, Paul said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't say imitate me as I, as, as I do my thing, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now he goes to, to, one more time to Gaius in verse 11. Uh, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And again, this is basically, you know, our solution. Imitate what is good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. You know, I am convinced that the Christian life by God's design is simply to be an advertisement of God's glory and to simply point people to what truly life is. In other words, we're to be an advertisement, a witness, a testimony, an example of what happens in a life when God gets a hold of someone. Because it doesn't matter what I tell anybody if I am not living out this word. If we're not living out this truth. Right away, anybody will sense that and say, you know what? He's nothing but a hypocrite. He tells, he, say, he, he, he propounds the most wonderful things, but his life simply does not measure up to the message that he preaches. The Christian life has been advertisement to communicate true life. Because you know what? We have so many examples. I was thinking about throughout history, how many people have lost their lives following the bad example. I imagine it's in the billions. I mean, look at Joseph Stalin. They say that he killed upwards of 20 to 30 million people. You got Idi Amin. Oh, there's been many, many negative examples. But we find here that Gaius, Demetrius, these are examples for you and I. May God help us to impact our society, our culture, with that example. Demetrius, he has a good testimony. Uh, the, the, the word means... Uh, it has its roots in harvesting corn. But you know what? This man harvested a lot more than corn. He harvested a good example. And you know what? May the Lord help us to do that. Amen? Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we ask you for your enabling power. Lord, help us to make a difference. I pray, Father, for anyone this morning Maybe of late they've been discouraged, maybe thinking that their life does not have any kind of import or impact. Lord, we thank you that as we offer ourselves up to you, that, Lord, you're able to take. Lord, I'm always reminded of the little boy who came to hear Jesus one day, and all he had was a little lunch. And he gave it to you, Lord. You put it in your hands. You multiplied it. You've, filled, or you, you've, you've fed and filled thousands of people. And Lord, that is true of our lives as well. Lord, we thank you for the example, Lord, that we find in Scripture. And Lord, we pray 
in our culture and our society today that you would enable and help us, we pray, to communicate this awesome testimony that we've experienced in our life, to point people to you, to tell them of your saving grace, and Lord, what you're able to wonderfully do. How I pray, Father, that you bless your people as we go forth from this place, as we go out into the world this week. Lord, may you use us for your honor, for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.